All right, welcome to the uh, Fireside Chats. This is episode five that we're recording now. And uh, if this is your first time listening, we'll do some quick introductions. My name's Shannon. I'm the founder of Rekindling. My name's Zach. I've been on a lot of these different podcasts. I'm Tori, and I have been a guest on a few podcasts now. And this is Craig, and yeah, I'm back. I've been on all the Fireside Chats and on several other podcasts. Yeah, we're starting. So if, if you've been listening to all the Fireside Chats... The four of us have been, the three of us have been all of them, and you've been to a handful of them. Yeah. We have another, how many people are in that, that thread? Like another, another seven or eight that I've invited, um, and we're just waiting for them to uh, take the invitation and, and come. So, you, so I love having these four voices, and hopefully we'll actually even get more voices mm-hmm. as, as we continue with this. Now, this is still, the Fireside Chats, you know, it's not its own season, so we're only going to record a couple more over the summer. So then, then we'll start season four is the plan. But from time to time, we'll still throw in these these fireside chats. And so, anyways, if you again, if this is your your first time listening, or all you've heard is the fireside chats, we have three other seasons recorded. Those are all running from an hour and a half to three hours. We have we've done a ton of research, outlines, etc. Um, very very uh, heady, I guess you could say, and heavy. And so these fireside chats were purposefully trying to keep it a little more light, a little more casual. It'll still be, you know, serious topics, but we want to just take a more flexible approach to it all. So, you know, the first two episodes we talked about why philosophical and psychological reasons people have different takes on things. Um, And then that was for the first two episodes. Then in episodes three and four, and then here in this one, episode five, we did a little short series on just some of our pet theologies as far as like things that we like that maybe aren't quite mainstream or maybe they're mainstream but there's like several mainstream camps out there and we just wanted to kind of share where we're at and and, and we're not these are not super elaborate breaking down the proof of why it's this it's more just sharing it and and one of the points one of my goals for the fireside chats is that unity in the midst of diversity that we can all have different takes. you know, again, there's absolute truth. Jesus is Lord, right? Et cetera. Um, but within, but beyond that, there's a lot of debate still on, on these different topics. And so I like the idea that we can have, you know, all of us come into these fireside chats and sometimes we're in agreement. Sometimes we're not in agreement. We want, we want to hear, we, we want to show you the listener that there are different camps and there are some legitimate reasons why they hold to those camps. Um, sometimes it may be the right answer is a combination of those. Sometimes the, the, it's actually a contradiction. The person just not seeing it yet, right? There's human nature and all this stuff, but we also want you to be able to see individuals that had their own thoughts on it, be respectful and loving of each other. Uh, as we discuss those, that it actually is possible for two people or three or whatever to have different conclusions and still just kind of, you know, hash it out. So like one of the goals of these fireside chats is not to, we're definitely not going to persuade each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and not necessarily even trying to persuade you, the listener of like, you know, we want you to hold to mine, right. Or whatever. It's just showing you there are some different camps and here's some reasonings behind it. And so being able to explain, uh, why we hold what we hold, and then maybe offer a little bit of pushback, like a seed planted. Hey, have you thought about this verse and how that verse plays into your conclusion? Oh, I hadn't thought about that, right? And so maybe there's seeds planted that 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 uh, that we change. So, anyways, um, that's just kind of a quick introduction. So let's go ahead and dive in. So, do you guys remember in episode three what were the two things that we discussed? I think the Nephilim. Yeah. And what was the and other one? Creation, maybe? And yeah, yeah. And the different ideas of, of old earth, young earth, a little mm-hmm. bit. And then in the last episode, 
what were the two that we discussed? Uh, I believe one of them was God's use of people and his reliance on them. Yeah, and then the other Tribulation? one was... Tribulation? Yeah, pre-trib, yeah. pre a right? All those different kind of stuff. Anyways, so... And actually, the order that we put them in, you know, kind of creation, early beginnings of things, and then kind of jump into the end. So now we're, we're still kind of discussing the end, and so we're, we're going to discuss one or two tonight. And again, these are like, you know, 30, 30 minutes, whatever. Um, so the first one, annihilationism. Now, of course, all four of you are familiar with it because we, we've talked about it. But let's let's explain just briefly for someone who hasn't heard it yet. Um, the lake of fire, Gehenna in, in the Greek, um, at Judgment Day, those who've rejected Christ as Lord are thrown into the lake of fire. Um, the general consensus throughout most of the history of the church is that when you're thrown into the lake of fire, your soul continues to exist forever in this eternal conscious torment so whether you're a believer or a non-believer you you actually exist forever you either exist in paradise or you exist in the fire um i think i think all four of us were taught that growing up am i right yeah 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 so it always bothered me but I, i didn't know what to do with it and then it was just in the last number of years that i came across annihilationism uh, and I loved it. Now, we've said before, you can't hold to a theology just because you love it, right? It needs to be backed up. But the idea of annihilationism is that when you're thrown into like a fire, you actually cease to exist. There's a little bit of conscious torment because there's the weeping and gnashing of teeth. But but just like you would throw something into a fire and then the fire would burn it up, um, that the, the soul is not eternal. And that brought me great comfort, but it's like, but what does the scripture say? And, and also church history. And what I found is, is since early on in church history, there's always been a camp that's held to annihilationism. I actually have a buddy of mine who isn't comfortable with the fact that I hold to annihilationism, but it was never enough on his radar to, to really discuss it. It's like, eh, whatever. He held to eternal conscious torment. Well, just recently, someone else had brought it up to him, a younger believer, and he's like, oh, I probably need to research this a little bit because they're asking me these questions. He had thought that it was a recent theory that came up. <laughs> and he definitely holds to the older the theory, the more weight to it, right? Not a guarantee, but the more weight. So when he heard, I mean, no, 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 it's, it's been around since the, since the get-go. It just never went mainstream. He's like, oh, I didn't know that. And he, and he was much more open to that, right? Because he just wasn't, you know, 1987, somebody came up with it, right? Anyways, so... Um, I'll give a quick quick synopsis of it, and then you guys can kind of give, give me your thoughts on it. Um, scripturally speaking, if someone was to come to the text without any knowledge of this issue and just try to read the text as it says, so the whole idea of like kind of let the Bible paint the picture it wants to paint, there's a lot of fire language, and the fire is very destructive, and it's, it's a consuming, that whatever's thrown into the fire is consumed. Um, and so it, so you have a lot of, you look at a lot of the passages, it really starts to, to, to seem, well, yeah, if you throw something in the fire, it's destroyed, um, which would be a soul. And, and then you have the verse in Matthew that flat out states, uh, don't be afraid of the one that can kill just the body, but the one that can kill or destroy both the body and soul in hell, in Gehenna, the lake of fire. And so I'm like, come on, God. And I'm like, oh, so it actually, it states the soul can be destroyed. Um, you have, you know, John three sixteen that if you believe in him, you get eternal life. And the thing is, is, is if, if eternal conscious torment, you're still living. So you get eternal life either way. Mm-hmm. Now people want to say, well, but they mean like eternal blessed life versus eternal damned life. Right. 
Okay, I get that, but the text doesn't necessarily say that. So I found a lot of verses that would move toward this idea that you actually are consumed. I, I heard one one article or book I read mentioned it was God's last great act of mercy, even on the wicked, and it actually would line up with his character. So so I liked the idea. It made a lot more sense, and there was a bunch of verses that if you're just reading them would seem to say that, but you also can't look up just the verses that prove your point. So I'm like, all right, let me look up all the verses that would talk about an eternal conscious torment. And what I found is there's seven or eight only, which is not a lot. And the actual most of them talk about either the fire is eternal, so the fire always burns, or the judgment is eternal. This is something we can actually discuss a little bit. But what is the ju- judgment and punishment? Um, if the punishment is absence of God, you don't get to go to heaven, then whether you're conscious for that or unconscious, you don't get to go still. So it's still, it would the, the punishment would still be eternal. So And so what I found was the fire being eternal didn't say one thing or the other. Eternal punishment could actually be read, annihilationist, or eternal conscious torment. You could actually read them either way. Um, and then there's only two mentions of some sort of eternal torment, both in Revelation. And one of them is actually takes place during the 70th week of Daniel, if you hold whatever your eschatology is. And so it's not actually talking about Gehenna. Um, and it mentions that the the smoke of that torment will go up forever and ever. Um, and the word, both in the New Testament Greek and the Old Testament um, Hebrew, the word for eternal can mean a long period of time. It can also mean eternal, like forever. Um, but like in Isaiah, there's a talking about um, the city of Tyre, Tyre, how you pronounce it, T-Y-R-E, um, that you know it was destroyed in God's judgment, and it says its smoke will rise up forever. Well, if we were to look tears on the coast, the Mediterranean coast of what is now Israel and, and Lebanon, if you were to look, the smoke's not there. So Isaiah didn't mean it in a hyper-literal way. It just meant more in a spiritual or figurative way. Um, and so the, the, the first mention in Revelation, to me, would probably be more of a figurative type thing. Then you have the other mention in Revelation 20, which seems flat-out literal and flat-out talking about Gehenna, the lake of fire. And it says they'll be tormented day and night forever in the lake of fire. Well, there you go. I mean, it's clear, eternal conscious torment. The thing is, who's the they? And from the context, we know for sure it's three. It's Satan, the um, Antichrist, which, which I remember when the Revelation study, we found out that, that John never actually uses the term Antichrist. Yeah. Um, I forget what the main term that he used. You guys are off the top of your head, but we would refer it as the Antichrist. Um, and then, and then the uh, the maybe the beast. I think it was the beast and false prophet. Anyways, that's a side trail. Um, but the idea being that those three, Satan, the beast, which is the Antichrist and the false prophet, um, those are tormented, but not necessarily all the rest. So, anyways, that that's that's my quick synopsis. I've already concluded. Um, I think that is the strongest explanation, and so I hold to that now. I just wanted to say, adding to those verses, the other one it looks like that says that is Matthew twenty five forty six, and it said, "And these shall go away into everlasting punishment," which can also be translated penal infliction or torment, but the righteous into life eternal. Right. So, so that's the problem with that verse. There is it could be. Um, the punishment, it could be torment. Right, but I was going with the first definition is penal infliction and then punishment or torment. Yeah, so so if it's it's the torment, then yeah, Yeah. that would lean towards that. If it's more the punishment, the punishment's absent, it could be read either way. So so then it gets to which word is it? I don't know, et cetera. Anyway, so so that's that's my thoughts. Now I open up to you guys. Uh, Where are you on it? 
Um, for me, I've been wrestling with this for probably the last year, I guess. And Shannon, something you always say is, um, like when you see something, it's really hard to unsee it. Mm-hmm. And so repetition in scripture is key for me when I'm, when I'm trying to figure out and wrap my head around something. And like you said, there were so many passages and scriptures that talk about being destroyed and being consumed that the repetition, once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard for me to wrap my head around that in any other way than they are destroyed and consumed. And John three sixteen, those who believe in Jesus won't perish, but they will have eternal life, which makes me think if you don't believe in Jesus, you will perish and you will not have eternal life. You flip that. Oh, and that's a great point because it's not talking about just the, our normal death. Cause mm-hmm. even, even believers, perish in the right, normal death right so it seems to be talking about another type yeah, of perish it has to be talking about something else i yeah. think yeah um so i've kind of Second concluded death. similarly to you that i would hold to annihilationism i think for me it's more consistent with what i know of god's character the more i get to know of his character and his love and his grace and his mercy it's easier for me to wrap my head around that than so for you a combination of the pat the pattern of mm-hmm. destruction language yeah some of some specific verses that seem to flat out state it yeah and aligning with God's character yeah. so a combination of those three and I would I would agree with you those are probably mm-hmm. the combo of, of my three that persuaded me yeah Zach where are you at with it I am still trying to figure out specifically where I'm at with it yeah uh, we've had a lot of conversations over the years about annihilationism and it is something that I do think is the most consistent with what I know of God's character. Um, but there are those couple of verses that um, do seem that they could go either way. Um, Cause I, even I was looking through some different articles about like how we know that the Bible teaches, which that's something kind of going back to your introduction, we tend to use language of the Bible clearly teaches mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and that's not, always the case Mm -hmm. Um, it's a whole lot easier to summarize what we think the bible implies by saying the bible clearly teaches when that's not actually the reality of the text of scripture which is a side tangent i could talk a lot about and i'm not going to Um, but it's there's a lot of different things where the scripture does seem to indicate at the very least that hell itself is going to be everlasting there's a number of verses that talk about the eternality of hell at the very least. And then there's a couple different verses that talk about Matthew um, 25, 46 was one of them. And the context of that is Jesus is talking about people are going to either go into eternal life or people are going to, um, verse 45, then who will answer them? Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into con- into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Mm-hmm. And so just with some of that, like eternal life is contrasted with eternal punishment in that verse. And it's like specifically talking about people. And then there's also Second Thessalonians 1, um, 5 through 10, I think, which talks more... Um, if I can find the specific part, uh, verse nine, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And so there are a couple different specific verses that do seem to indicate what more of church history has taught, um, through a lot of like what I grew up hearing. And I do agree that both of those verses, there are different ways to read them. And I'm just not quite there to pull the trigger on right. annihilation being the answer, even though I do see a lot of the arguments that point in that direction. Yep. Um, just personally, I'm not. I'm not quite there. Yeah, 
And so, Craig, before you give your take, because your take is different and I really like it, um, the, the, the big thing for me is like those eternal punishment things. Again, it could be read either way. If it's read as eternal conscious torment, it creates almost contradictions with the destruction passages. So you have to still deal with that. Where if it's read as the, the eternal punishment is the decision that you can't be with God and that's forever, then, then there becomes no contradiction. So, and so in those the eternal uh, judgment or eternal punishment passages, it seems that absolutely yes, or being totally honest, it could be read either way. If it's read as the conscious torment, it creates other problems. If it's read as the decision that mm-hmm. you can't go, it, it, I, don't, I see less problems with the text. There's some philosophical problems that arise, which I'll get to after Craig shares. Um, but that's, that's just, I wanted to kind of voice the voice. Yeah. All right, so Craig, where do you stand on this? Okay, so I actually have, when Shannon brought it up, I did research and did start reading it all. And I was starting to lean towards, okay, annihilationism might be the thing. Okay. It does seem to fit God's character that that would be his last final you know, sign of sympathy and, and love for, for people. Um, I, I don't hold annihilationism. I do tend to lean towards eternal punishment. Um, just like, like Zach was eternal saying. conscious torment. Yeah. E- yeah. Eternal conscious torment. Yeah. Um, the verses that, uh, Zach was mentioning, there's another one in Mark talking about where their worm will not die and the fire is not quenched. Um, so it, there's enough verses that seem to strongly indicate that there is an eternal punish, inter, eternal torment that I, I hold to that. That being said, um, one, I want to say I don't think that holding annihilationism is like her, heretical right. or anything like that. The yeah. other thing I want to say is from other scriptures, it seems that even if you, your soul is burned up in the lake of fire, there's a lot of talk about you being punished for what you've done mm-hmm. and you getting your due. So that means it's not like, boom, you're thrown in, you're gone. It seems that there will be like lengths of time based on the way you lived your life um, to to the length or the the, the uh, harshness mm-hmm. of your punishment before if, say, annihilation, annihilationism is the thing. Mm-hmm. So my take is um, I wouldn't be dogmatic. I wouldn't tell someone that believes in it you're wrong. Yeah. You, you can't prove it. And I wouldn't say that I can be 100% sure on my view. But I also would say that either one looks terrible, yeah, and I would recommend well, yeah. you not go either way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because this this is a finer tuned point, right? Right. Now, the the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die. All that says is the fire burns forever. It's still a small jump to say well, that. But the worm, it says their worm. Right, but who's what's the worm? I, I don't know, but yeah. it, it it seems to be linked to the person. Oh, so yeah, because I would read the worm as Satan. It could be, yeah. yeah. And there's also passages, and I don't know, I think it's first or second Peter, that talk about how hell was actually created for the demons right. originally. And so I think that that is another argument that lean that lends itself, I guess, more towards annihilationism. Because, sure, Satan and the de- maybe what it is is Satan and the demons are do have eternal conscious torment, yeah. but then people aren't supposed to be there in the first place. And so they're not going to last there very long type of yeah. type of thing. Like I, I'm not sure. Um, but not- it's, it's just interesting when you start throwing in some of these complexities, because I think um, maybe if nothing else from this conversation, something that I would hope um, myself and the people listening would lean towards is 
there's not just one specific biblical approach to hell. Because like growing up, I think I did, I was introduced to annihilationism at one point, but it was in the context of that's heretical, don't really (laughs) think about it or look at it. And I think that it's worth even just humbly presenting, there actually may be a biblically grounded alternative view. Yeah. Um, and, and, and with the point about hell was created for um, demons, this doesn't help my point. But I think, because remember when we talk about hell, the Bible actually mentions a Hades. Oh, and it yeah, mentions and I don't a Gehenna, what word it is. Yeah. And it mentions an Abaddon. And I think that verse is talking about Abaddon, not Gehenna. So that doesn't help my point, but I, I think just to kind of clarify, yeah. you know, and I think all four is you know like intellectually honest. Okay, this doesn't actually help my point, but I think that's a bad and not not Gehenna. Um, but anyways, so so some philosophical arguments on this, just kind of two main points, each one arguing for the other. Um, so you mentioned Craig, and I think all of us would agree with this that it seems that there's at least some length going on of torment based on what you did in this life. So for us annihilationists, it's like, but why would you have to burn an eternity for 80 years of bad that you did? And I know the, the answer given to that is, well, yeah, you only sin for 80 years, but you sin against an eternal God. Therefore the punishment must be eternal. I don't know if you can automatically assume that. I think that's just somebody making a statement that I don't have any evidence that I hold to that. So that was one of my philosophical problems is I don't understand why they would have to burn forever for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years of, of sin they did. Um, now, the inverse, and I've had people tell me this, um, they don't like that someone could cease to exist because then they don't know that they were punished and they need to be conscious to get the punishment. Now, actually, I understand it now. Quick side note, within annihilationism, there's two there's two different meanings for this. One is the one that we presented. The other one is is that at your initial death as a human, you're annihilated. And so they would hold there's no Hades, there's no judgment day, there's no lake of fire, there's no eternal punishment. You just die and that's it. Your soul dies when your body dies. I don't hold to that. I don't think scripture would teach that. So I want to make sure you clarify. Yeah, that and Jesus talks about hell more than like any other right. topic. And yeah. if you just disappeared at death... I don't know why Jesus would talk about it. So some people don't like annihilationism, but they don't like that version, mm-hmm. which I would agree with, right? This is a slightly different version. So Tori and I would still both hold to, well, they had eternal conscious torment. They knew that that weeping and gnashing of teeth, I think, is regret more than anything. Um, but but they would, but but anyways, the point is, some people, some Christians don't like it. They want non-believers to burn mm-hmm. forever in conscious torment. I'm uncomfortable with that. And I think Christ would be uncomfortable with that. Like there's different passages that talk about God doesn't take delight in the death of the wicked. Mm -hmm. And I think that you could extrapolate that out a step and say he doesn't delight in the torment of the wicked either. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I don't think that's too far to go with that. And I do agree that there are definitely believers that hold to that sort of position. Yep. Let them get what they deserve type of language. And I just... I really do think that it's a misunderstanding of grace and what God's really offered to people that yeah. lends itself to that sort of conclusion. Yeah. And on, on that note, I, I agree. I, I don't think Jesus would want people tormented forever. That doesn't mean that, that he's not doing that. It just means that he doesn't he want He doesn't it. delight in it. Also, yeah. it could be 
on the flip side, the argument of why he's he was so passionate about talking about hell is because he knew this was a forever torment, and he didn't want people going there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so this is what we, you know, and I think all of us are on the same page. We need to let the verses of Scripture guide us first and foremost, because when you're starting to get philosophical arguments, it, it kind of goes nuts, because you could also argue, well, then if God doesn't delight in it, and it is forever, then God forever experiences that feeling. And that seems hard to wrap our mind around. Where if it was an intense, shorter moment, then he deals with it in that moment, right? And I wonder how God feels about torturing his angels forever, which it does seem to clearly state, at least Satan and the beast. Those three. Right, are for sure forever tormented. And if that's like an acceptable thing for god or if he's still even tormented by that yeah see that gets to threshold issues now. yeah like oh three i can deal with the fat well that and does he right? does he hurt more when humans are tormented as opposed to his angels and fallen angels yeah yeah so yeah i mean there's just all kinds of questions that come up from this so all right so that that's the annihilationism how much time we got left uh we're at 25 minutes okay we got about 10 minutes so still on this topic because you even made the point don't either way it's not good. You really want the eternal life, right? And we've been doing a, a study on Sunday mornings on heaven and what that looks like, that God in all his fullness, us in all our fullness and life in all its fullness. So we just, just brief. And again, this was a, this could be a multi-part, you know, thing, but um, what is required for eternal life? Um, if there was like a checklist that God has and that he's looking for these things and if these things occur, then the person gets eternal life. What do you feel scripture says is on that checklist? So I'll start while you guys are chewing on it. For me, I do hold to a simple salvation. I look at John 3.16 and Romans 10.9. John 3.16 says if you believe in Jesus. Now that's kind of a loaded general term, and he doesn't nail down what that means. Romans 10.9 gets more specific. And he says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and confess means to sincerely acknowledge is true, and Lord means master. So if you sincerely acknowledge that Jesus is your master um, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, which would mean that, you know, the whole Calvary crucifixion. um, And and now what exactly did the crucifixion accomplish? That actually is up for debate. There's different camps, atonement theory, ransom theory, Christus Victor theory, you know, et cetera. Um, But anyways, that if you if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So what I believe is the simple salvation is really just one thing, that Jesus is Lord. If I put a 1A and 1B, 1A would be that Jesus is Lord and 1B would be that he died for us. Those those would be the, the two slash one things that I think if someone believes that. Everything else is super important, but not salvifically. That's where I'm at. Where are you guys? Can I ask you a clarifying question? Yeah. How, what would you... Cause I know that there's a camp that's lordship salvation. Would you dis- are you familiar with that camp or would you cuz what when you say Jesus is lord what does that mean? Oh man. Because I my understanding from the lordship salvation camp is you have to sincerely like surrender and have Jesus be the lord of your life like you have to actively give every single aspect of your life to him and that's how you're saved well see i Which, don't i don't think there's a human on the planet that has given every aspect of their life to jesus so i wouldn't hold that mm-hmm. that'd, be twi- that'd be the opposite extreme for me 
Um, I believe they have to recognize that he is God. He is the divine master of the universe. They may be brutally bad at following that, mm-hmm. um, but they but they do have because you know because also another verse I would give I don't remember which which reference it is, but it's when Jesus asked Peter, you know, hey, who, who do people say I am? Some say you're Elijah, some say John the Baptist, da, da, da. and then he says, Peter, who do you say I am? He says, you're the son of God. And he said, Peter, blessed are you for knowing that. Da, da, da. Yeah. Um, and so to me, I group that together that one must recognize that Jesus is the son of God, uh, that he took, you know, incarnated form. He died on the cross for multiple reasons um, and that he is the Lord. How good you are at submitting to him as Lord to me is not salvific. That's sanctifying. Yeah. And I, I think that I would definitely be in a, similar if not the exact same position as you yep. with that because acts sixteen thirty one, i believe it is says believe on the lord jesus christ and you will be saved and that's the proclamation of the early church is belief and so it i really do think that that really is what we need to be doing in order to become follower of christ and real quick on that believe on we would say normally believe in but uh, but on is the word no, on is the word so what, what does that mean? Believe on. So the word pistuo, um, pistis is the noun, pistuo is the verb. Again, I'm probably pronouncing those wrong. But it's the that what is belief or faith or trust. To me, I have faith equals belief plus trust. They're all kind of interchangeable mm-hmm. to some extent. Um, but the idea is a reliance upon. So when it says believe on, what it's saying is you're relying on him. Now, what are you relying on him for? I think specifically for salvation. Yeah. That you understand he's the source and author of salvation. Um, I don't, it's not about me being good to get in. I'm relying on him. Um, you, we, we should actually rely on Jesus for all things. Mm-hmm. But I think that we Christians constantly don't do that. Um, but we rely on him for the salvation. And that's the one thing that's required. So that, okay, so, so you're, so yeah, you're so I think, bl- and then I, I was thinking a little more. And I do think that the other component, um, and I can't, separate if this is before salvation or at like the point of salvation but repentance is also something that is seen throughout the um, early church's proclamation of the gospel and um, the definition of repentance that I've found from looking things up and different things is a, it's not a changing of behavior it's a changing of your mind so it's a changing of your mind to agree with God and so um, what it is is you need to believe that Christ is who he says he is and that he died for you and those components of that and then it's changing your it's really and so i think that this would probably be post-salvation but like right at the beginning in it's the sanctification journey and it's changing your mind to actually um agree with god on his perspective of sin and those different things yeah and real quick the the repent in the old testament means to turn back and the new testament metanoia means to think differently Mm -hmm. which is fascinating yeah Yeah. tori what you um, I would just hold to the one requirement. I wouldn't add anything to it. I don't think there's, um, I and can't think one, of any scripture confessing that Jesus is Lord. I can't think of any scripture that says like anything else do this to be saved. Mm-hmm. I and think there's a, a, several scriptures we've already mentioned. That and what do you think confess Jesus as Lord means? Recognize who he is and what he's done kind of accepting what he has done for you. I think that that is, I don't know if that's like a separate requirement, accepting but so, so what who, he did. Who but he is and acknowledging who he is and what yeah, he's Yeah, as the son of God and, and that he died for our sins. Yeah. And I think that's it. That's what yeah. I would say. Yeah. Okay, Craig. 
Yeah, I mean, I generally hold it's pretty simple. Uh, I think Paul says it's believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so um, I believe if you hold to that and, and make him your Lord, that that you're saved. Um, to clarify, I don't think that means you make Jesus who you want Jesus to be, and then you're saved. Um, right, I believe right. it's the we Jesus that's presented. Because right, um, right. a lot of people say that, oh, I believe Jesus is Lord. Okay, well, who is Jesus Lord to you? And it may not look very much like the Jesus that's Lord in the scriptures. Right, because they're redefining what Lord right. is. And so that's that's what I would hold to as the the only component to salvation. Yep. So we're going to wrap up with that. Um, we will throw out a couple of questions just to frustrate you, the listener. Um, Could I actually throw out one more yep, thing? Sure. Because just I'm a more intellectual person, so this is actually something that I've wrestled with a lot over the past number of years of, like, what does it actually take for someone to become a Christian? And um, just I've really struggled with, well, like, what does belief actually mean and what does it look like? Because I try and probably overanalyze a lot of different things and just this is one area that um i know that i tend to overanalyze being an mm-hmm. intellectual person um and so like i do think that it is just belief but then like in my own head i'm trying to figure out like what specifically does that actually mean yeah so um gosh it was, we had somebody used to be used to be in the community group and his girlfriend lived out of town and she came in one week and I was actually talking about this issue. This was years ago. And she told him that she would never come back to my group again. Um, because what she, what she thought I was saying was you don't have to do any good things. It was just this easy, easy salvation. Anybody could get it. Well, I don't think anybody can, but, um, I'm like, look, my whole life is dedicated to the water walking, to the maturity and sanctification. I, I'm constantly encouraging myself to do that and then help others do that. But I don't think that's salvific. I think there's a whole bunch of other reasons that we should do that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, so this this can bring up the questions of, um, again, we can't discuss them, but what if somebody believes that Jesus was, is Lord but then never got baptized? And you can mention the thief on the cross. What if Jesus, someone believes that Jesus is Lord, um, but they believe that there's errors in the Bible? They believe all the passages on Jesus are true, so they don't redefine it, but they think there's other errors. What would you say about that? Um, we've talked about what if somebody is convinced that the New Testament passages on homosexuality in the Greek are actually referring to older men molesting younger men, and it's molestation and not, not same-sex attraction. And so they think that because it's that, they can live a homosexual lifestyle, but they believe that Jesus is Lord. You can, you can get a bunch of that. We had a long discussion before we started recording this. What about those who never made the decision? So miscarriages and aborted uh, abortions or uh, infant deaths or... Um, severe mental retardations. Yeah, and- the disabil- mental disabilities, right? Um, and we actually had a long discussion. We, we won't do it for this. But the one thing that we wanted you to know is there's different camps on all those questions. So if you were brought up being taught one thing, and it's this on any one of those questions we just brought up, and it had never set well with you, know that there are other camps out there. And so explore those because that may may kind of give you some encouragement. Go ahead. I would say on that, yeah, explore those, but always read the word for yourself and use the tools like Logos or E-Sword. E-Sword so you can look it up in the Greek and Hebrew and see what they mean and put it together 
don't just solely rely on what other people are telling you it is. Right. And I do think once you're starting to come to a conclusion, because we our group has done this a lot, we, we hash it out with each other so that we can get refined a bit. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So we'll stop there and we'll see you guys for the next episode.